We're in the, uh, the third uh, message in this series uh, this week, and uh, it is, uh, it's, been a, it's been an awesome series. Last week, I just want to give a shout out to the almost 300 people that came in the blizzard last week. Uh, for, all the, for all the southern boys who are proud of your trucks that didn't show up last week, um, we did take a poll and 75% of them were born on the other side of the Mason-Dixon line. Uh, so the next snow day, I'm expecting the southern guys, all right, to stand up and you talk junk all year. It's easy to talk junk about your truck when you live in North Carolina most of the time. The one or two days that it's actually important for you to have a truck, you're just like, yeah, it's too big out there. I can't, can't make it. Uh, but no, we had a lot of people show up last week. I just went, we had a time change and a blizzard, right? That was awesome. So we were shocked that so many people came. It was an awesome day. Um, and if you missed that message, I really encourage you to go back and, and listen to it, although we're going to, uh, to talk about it here just for a few minutes. Before we get into it, I want to I make a, a couple quick announcements, and then I want to pray, and, um, and then we'll kind of we'll kind of get into it. One, coming up on March 25th, um, here, here at Pursuit Church, we're going to host our annual women's conference. Um, it's going to be awesome. There's going to be a, there's a, some, some great people coming, great music, great speaking. It's just something once a year, I'm going to get all the ladies together and just let God uh, speak to them and, and, and use them in a unique way. And it's an amazing thing. So March 25th, you have any questions, just call the church. Everything's online. Everything's on social media. And you can get that. And, and that's what the women are doing on March 25th. But tonight, tonight, like a few hours from this very moment, the guys are all going to get together and have a bowling night. All right, at Spare Time in Huntersville, it's going to be awesome. All the guys, all the Pursuit Church is free. Um, we've rented out the VIP room. They're waiting on us. Um, it, it's coming, and uh, it's going to be great. Here's the deal what we're going to do. One of the things we're going to do, uh, we just wanted to make it unique, um, is we're gonna, the guy with the highest bowling, the highest score tonight, we're giving away an AR-15 to the guy with the highest score tonight. So that's what we're doing tonight in Huntersville. Um, spare time. Everybody was like, <laughs> yeah. Immediately, the guy who like thought this was another church, he walked in. He's like, "Oh man, this is the wrong place." And now he's, "Oh, this is my favorite place. I'm coming, coming tonight. I'm gonna be there. I love you. I love you. Your name's Greg. Is it Greg? No, my name's Jordan. But you can still come tonight. So um, it's gonna be awesome tonight. 6:30 spare time in Huntersville VIP room. Just go and tell me you're from Pursuit Church. They'll give you some shoes. You go back in there. We'll bowl, hang out, have a good time. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be awesome time. Um, and. Uh, just want to one more one more quick time as we, we're making some transitional changes because uh, there's a lot of people showing up and, and some of our systems were smashing and breaking and um, so we've instituted a parking team and some other things like that and I want to thank you guys so much uh, for being uh, for the the parking team getting out there and for everybody obeying the parking team that was a huge no you know if you have teenagers out there in red vests and and guys are running them over system doesn't work so I want to thank you guys so much uh, for just kind of as we go through these transitions we're learning um, kind of as God grows the church we're just learning to keep up with God, and um, it's been an awesome thing. We're a big family here, and it's, uh, it's been a great thing, so we're excited about it, but I'm going to pray really fast, and then we're going to get into this message. If you guys, listen, I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray, because I believe that God has a, everybody, when I, everybody, I tricked everybody, everybody went down, and I started talking, and everybody went back up, so that was funny. Um, I, I, I want you to pray um, as I pray, because I believe that, that God is going to speak to the hearts and the minds of of many people uh, today. I think that God is going to speak to, um, to get, answer maybe some questions, and there's some things maybe you've been dealing with in your, in your relationships and in your marriages, and I do believe that God is going to give you some, some clarity on some things today, and, and I want you to open up your heart and your mind to Him, um, and, and as I pray, I want you to pray uh, that the Lord speaks to you, speaks to your life, speaks to your marriage and your relationship. So uh, let's just go together before God. Father, uh, once again, I stand before you. Uh, God, I, I pray a special prayer right now, Father, over this entire uh, group of people, Father. Uh, there are people who are young, 
Father, and not in relationships, God. Uh, there are people who are, are, are young and in relationships. There's people who are married. There's people who are divorced. There are people who are uh, in their second marriage. There's people in their third marriage, God. There's people living together that aren't married. There's people who are, uh, have sexual morality a part of their lives. There's, there's people from all walks of life, God, in this room this morning. And I believe every single one of them are sons and daughters of you, Father. I believe that you love each of them. And I pray, Lord, this morning, God, that in a powerful and a special way, God, that your spirit will speak to the depths of their heart, God, that you will move in a special way in their life in your name. Amen. So last week um, we talked about a few things, and I just want to go over this in case you weren't here, if this is your first time here, so you can kind of catch up. We basically, the, the title of the message last week was Broken Sex Makes Broken People. Broken Sex, Broken People. And we said that, that, that there is a, a, a very specific design to the way that God um, has moved in this life, the way that he's designed marriage, the way that he's designed love, the way that he's designed sex, that there's a very specific design, and that, that a lot of times we don't even understand that design. We don't even know that design. And a lot of that comes back from the first message where he said that the volume of the culture, the culture has been so loud and, and so dictating on what their view of sex is that it's completely educated multiple generations about the idea of sex. And then we said that the church has been so silent. The biggest problem isn't the volume of the culture, but it's the silence of the church. And because the volume of the culture has been so loud and the church has been so silent, we've had two or three generations that's been educated. Our sex education has come from the culture itself. It's come from TV and movies and ideas and rap songs and and all these different things. And we went through the specific ways in which we have been basically indoctrinated by the culture on how we perceive and view sexuality. Um, and we said that, listen, but it, it, we cannot define sex because uh, we did not design sex. That, that sex is a God thing. That love is a God thing. That, that marriage is a God thing. And he has this very special, specific design for it. And then we, last week we went into where, where Paul begins to speak um, to, the, uh, to the people about sexual immorality, about sexual sins. And, and, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it's, it's, it's an, amazing, an amazing group of scriptures, but he specifically speaks to these, these two very important things. And the first thing he says is, listen, your body is not meant for sexual immorality. Your body is not meant uh, for sex outside God's design. And, and a lot of times people look at that as in a right and wrong. They look at that word as in like, I'm, I, I'm supposed to go right and not left. Yeah, I, I'm supposed to, this is what's right and that's what's wrong. But that's not what that word means. He says, your body is not meant, is not meant for, is not created for sexual immorality. Meaning that the way that God created your mind and the way that God created your body he did not make you. You are not meant for sexual immorality. In the same way that if we were to get a chair up here and we were to have a chair and the capacity of that chair was 250 pounds. It was, it's made for 250 pounds, but we got like a, a, a cow from a field and we came in and we set the 500, 600 pound cow on the chair. What happens to the chair? The chair breaks, right? Because the chair is not meant for a 600 pound cow. It's meant for 250 pound human beings. In the same way we use the car analogy, if you were here last week, we said there was the Bugatti. Did I pronounce that right? There was the Bugatti, right? That's $3 million. And I know a lot of you don't believe that, but that is true. I looked it up. The Bugatti's $3 million. And it's meant for the road. But if you take a $3 million Bugatti and you drive it into the ocean, what happens? It breaks. It sinks. It dies. It rusts. It can't run because it's meant for the road. It's not meant for the ocean. That word that Paul uses says, listen, it's not that it's just right or wrong. It's not that it's just outside of God's design. Your body, your mind is physically not meant for sexual immorality. 
It's not meant for it. It can't handle it. If you do sex outside of God's design, it will break you. It will literally hurt you. It will hinder your life. It will, it will, it, it will, it will, it's not meant for it. Just the same way the chair breaks and the Bugatti breaks, our mind breaks. The second thing he said was, he said, sexual immorality. When you sin, all the other sins are outside the body. But when you sin sexually, you sin in your body. You sin towards your body, against your body. That word against means it's like if, if you imagine like a castle or, or something that has a big door or a, 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 or a moat or the drawbridge, and it's that, that basically you pick that up and they can enter in. It's against. It opens you up to be attacked. You, his point is, is that when you sin sexually, you open up your life for sin to come in and wage death in your life. He says these two very distinctly, very important things. It's not that it's like right and wrong. It's that you're not created for it. And it took us about 2,000 years, but we finally got to a place in our technology and a place um, in, in science where we actually have proven this reality. Through the science of neurology, we have proven that our minds are not chemically, emotionally, or mentally built up for sexual immorality. And we went into this whole thing, and I encourage you, if you did not hear this message, go back and listen to it, because I'm, I'm going to hit it very quickly. That there, in, in our brain, the, the biggest sex organ in our body, be careful, don't shout stuff out. The biggest sex organ in our body is our brains. It starts in our brains and it ends in our brains. And that there, there are chemicals and there, there are, are hormones and stuff that are released during it. And the four biggest ones that are present, and, and if you weren't here last week, I want you to write this down. It's number one's oxytocin, vasopressin, endorphins, and dopamine. Oxytocin is present in both males and females, but dominant in females. Vasopressin is, uh, is present in both males and females, but dominant in males. And endorphins and dopamines are, are dominant in both males and females. And so the way that what happens, and I want you to understand the difference between oxytocin and vasopressin versus other things. When you, when you begin, and I, and I don't want to bring her up here again, but I brought my wife up here, and I was like hugging all over, and, and, you know, and, and she was getting all red in the face and everything, and I was just rubbing my face over and, and just like connecting with her emotionally and physically, and, and, uh, and it was really weird. But, but my, what happens is, is that when you, when you, when you hug someone, you that contact, that, that in women, oxytocin begins to be released in your brain. And in men, vasopressin begins to be released in your brain. And, and what scientists call the vasopressin, especially for men, is the monogamy molecule. It's, 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 it's the thing, it's the hormone that makes you committed to a woman. It's the thing that makes you committed on heart, mind, body, and soul to a woman. It's a, it's a trust gene, right? And it's also the jealous, they call it the jealousy gene. It's the thing that makes you jealous for her. That one, like, 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 like you're all happy, and then when another dude starts talking to her, you immediately turn into like this violent killer, Right? That's, the, that's jealousy. That, that, that's a natural thing. It's the same way that God, it says that God is jealous for his people, right? It's the same thing there. That vasopressin makes men, it makes men jealous. It, it makes you trust. It makes you committed. Oxytocin does the same thing for women, that when you, when you engage in sexuality and you, you engage and you do, the, you do the deed. Now, I've said this every week. I forgot to say it this time. If you have kids in here, we have kids ministry. This is a sex series. We're going to talk about sex. I'm going to say sexual things, sex, sex, sex. If you are not, un if you're uncomfortable, Take your kids away over to kids' ministry, okay? This, I forgot to say that. I'm going to say that really fast because it's going to get sexual. All right. So when you engage in sexuality, 
right? The vasopressin for the guys is going crazy. The oxytocin is going crazy for the ladies. The endorphins, so you just feel all happy inside. The dopamine, it's your reward drug, so you're just feeling like, you're just feeling amped, and you're just feeling pumped, and it's this great, and it's an amazing thing. God created the mind to connect to one another. So when you, when you engage in sexuality, when you engage in sex, the, the, the chemicals, it, it's not just this, this, you know, this love mystical thing. There is a, your, God created your minds to be chemically, mentally, emotionally tied to one another. That's what oxytocin does and vasopressin does sexually. That's why when, when you have sex, especially for the first time, it's, just, it's so powerful and you feel so connected. And that when you break, when you break up or when you break apart or when you go apart, it's just a, it's a violent feeling. It's an empty feeling. It's, a, it's, just, it's just this horrible, horrible thing. That's why no matter how long we go in life, we'll never forget our first. That's, it's, not just a, it's not just something that Nicholas Sparks created, right? This is the way that we, this is the way that we are built for. The problem is, is that, that the body, the human mind, doesn't know the difference between a hookup and a honeymoon. Right? Doesn't know the difference between a honeymoon and a hookup. Doesn't know the difference between a one-night stand and the first time and the last time for the rest of your life. It doesn't know the difference. It doesn't know the difference. So your body, whether you're 15 and at a party, right, or you're 25 and this is your honeymoon night, it doesn't matter. Your body's doing what it was created to do, and that was bond with, connect with. You're, you're, the souls get knitted together in the moment. That's what sex is. That's what, what the Bible says that sex is. It's the knitting of souls. It's, it's two becoming one. And when, you, and when you engage in that, and you're outside the context of marriage, outside the context of God's design, and when it ends, that bond that takes place, it breaks. It breaks. And when you do it again with another partner, it breaks. And everything we know in every view of science, including oxytocin and vasopressin, chemical bonds, when they, they come, they eventually they die down. It will suppress the vasopressin. The more times you, you bond and break, it will, it will suppress it. It will suppress the oxytocin in ladies. So what you get is, is, is after time, after multiple partners, the neurology is getting to after your second sexual partner. The way vasopressin releases and the way oxytocin releases is already highly diluted and highly affected. And so this is how you wind up getting uh, in, in this emotion where you're having sex and it feels good because of the dopamine and the endorphins, but you don't feel the connection that you felt the first go around. I don't want you to raise your hand, but we've been there. That's why they've proven that men, for whatever reason, for men, after two sexual partners, they develop trust issues that's almost impossible to overcome in this life, barring a move of God in their life. Not just trust to the woman, trust in general. They become invulnerable. Right, that's why, that's bit one of the biggest reasons they say chemically why men are the way they are. Like, everything's fine and good, that's dope, yo, what up, homie, yeah, I'm good, what, everything's perfect, I'm tough, what, nah, no vulnerability. Everybody talks like that, that's normal. <laughs> no vulnerability, no trust, they won't let it down. They, their entire life is a facade because they don't show weakness because they don't trust anybody. Neurology is saying it's highly, highly connected to sex. So there's all these, and, and, and we get to this place where there's all these emotional uh, issues, there's these trust issues and this vulnerability, there's all this stuff that comes in and literally it, it, it breaks us. That's why it's broken sex. The broken, when the system of God is broke, broken sex will make broken people. And we kind of carry that into our marriage. So that was, that was what we talked about last week. I felt like it was important because I want to go right off that into this next thing. And I want to show you in Genesis really fast. I want to show you 
Because God gives us, we see, and what, we see what his perfection is and what exists in the confines of his perfect design. And then we see as soon as sin enters and it's broke, what exists in that. So if you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2. And I just want to go through this really fast. This is Genesis chapter 2. It starts with this, God's created man and woman. And, and now this is the man discussing, you know, this he says, The man said, this is now my bone of bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. So there's this deep connection. When, when God creates man and creates woman out of, out of man, and, and, and Adam sees, and he says, that she's out, she's from me, she's connected to me, she's from me, we're, we're one. That's why, man, that's why we're calling her woman. That's why she, we're one people, we're together in this. He goes on, and this is God explaining. He says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Is united. That word united is cleave or cling to, go after. It's this, it's this like, it's not like, man, that girl's fine, right? Mm, I want to be with that. It's not that. That word united, that word cleave is like, I want to possess you. I want to be yours. I want you to be mine. I want to hold on to you, cleave on to you, cling on to you until the day that I die. That's what that word united means in the Hebrew. He says, this is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife in this way and they become one flesh. I want you to hang on to this language because Jesus talks about it in Matthew in just a little bit. He says they become one flesh. They're no longer two people, but they're one. So there's this deep-seated unity here. It says, and then this is the thing I want you to pay attention to. If you, if, you're, if you have your Bibles, I want you to make a note on it. Adam and his wife were both what? Naked. Amen. Were both naked and they felt no shame. Raise your hand if you're naked. No hands, good. You know, I, I don't ever know when I ask a question what the outcome will be. You know, if you're, you're so into the message, you might not even notice a completely naked person next to you. I don't know. He says, listen, they were completely naked one to another, and there was no shame. There was complete intimacy, complete trust, complete vulnerability. These are the three things that, that show up in, in God's system right here. The first one's absolute 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 unity absolute unity there there is there is nothing between you and her and you and him there's, there's nothing between you you're you're unified mind body and soul you are connected you're no longer two but you are one does that make sense complete unity complete unity that complete unity gives way to complete and absolute intimacy Absolute intimacy, meaning there is, this, there is a connection, there is a joy, there is a pleasure, there is, you find, you find, instead of like finding stress and anxiety within the confines of your relationship, in the confines of sex, in the confines of, uh, of marriage, you find relaxation and joy and intimacy. It's an amazing thing. This is the thing that you want in your marriage. This is the thing that you want in your relationship. This is what you want. You want intimacy. You're after it. You may not word it like that. You may not think about it like that. But that is the thing you were after is intimacy. And, and because of that absolute unity, the absolute intimacy was, was between Adam and Eve. There was no, they, they, they were just strolling around naked, just chilling out, completely vulnerable with one another, completely comfortable with one another. They rested in each other. They were one person, one flesh. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. Amazing thing. They go on to this. And this is the thing I want you to hang on to this. It was absolute love. Absolute love. Do you know what, what, what love is? You ever thought about what love is? Jesus says that love is selflessness. Love is giving up of yourself. He said true love is this. You lay down your life. 
You lay down your life. As Jesus laid down his life for us, you lay down your life for one another. It's complete selflessness. It's to the point you would give up your life, give up your hope, give up your dreams. She becomes, he becomes the most important thing in your life. It's love. It's selflessness. Selflessness. And I want you to hold on to this word love. We're going to come back to this. And I just, I just want to, we're going to, I'm going to explain all this, but I just want you to see that in God's perfect design, there's absolute unity, absolute intimacy, absolute love, absolute selflessness. Does that make sense? And then, then sin comes in. This, uh, the story goes that God said, listen, this, this whole world is yours, and you know, I don't do this one thing. They decided to do this one thing, and then, and then sin entered in, disobedience entered in, and there was, this, there was this, this, this change, this perception change in their heart, in their mind, in their body, in their soul. And I want you to see the outcome of this. It goes on Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. I mean, can you just imagine, like, guys, maybe tonight later, we're just at the bowling alley. We're just, you know, doing our thing, just bowling. We turn around, and we're like, whoa, we're all naked. <laughs> like, that would be, like, weird. That, imagine that feeling. So they just, their eyes are open. They're changed. They know the difference between good and evil. And now, all of a sudden, what they found intimacy and what they once found, found uh, this vulnerable with this, this trust with each other, this connection with each other. Now, all of a sudden, they're naked and they're ashamed of it. Where it said there was no shame before, now there's shame and there's guilt and there's this, there's this ickiness and there's this division. Right? The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. So, so there's this, this, this weirdness between them now. And then he says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. He said, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, listen to this crap answer. The man said, the woman did it. The woman you put it, the first way he describes Eve, he says, he says, you know, she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She's connected to me and I'll call, I'll, I'll call her man because we're like the same and we're united and we're one. And then, then when what sin enters in and there's this brokenness that's here, complete disconnection. The woman that you put here did this to me. It's her fault. Kill her. Right? Coward. Eve goes on to do something very similar. So this, this is what we, what we see when sin enters in. This is what we see. We see absolute division. Division from each other. They, they clothed themselves because they were ashamed. Division from each other. And then when they heard God, they ran away from God. Division from God. Absolute division. Absolute division. It goes on to say, well, there was, there was no shame before. Now there's shame. Shame ickiness just it was weird it was what was amazing now now is just weird right it's just it's just it's just we all we all want like that you know that nicholas sparks like slammer up against the wall make love in the rain type of deal like in the notebook one person laughed you know like, yeah i do want that Right, we want this passionate deal, but a lot of times, like in our minds, we build it up. This is going to be this crazy. I mean, there's going to be music in the background, and there's just like the clouds are going to part. It's going to be amazing, and, and we're all going to have six packs, and it's just going to be this thing. But then you go through with the deal, and you're like, man, that was weird. That was that was a weird experience. That was not. That was I, there was no wall, and it wasn't raining, and and she laughed. I don't. I don't know. It was just a. It's a weird thing. I don't. And it, it was like it lasted like 10, 15 minutes in the movie, and it was like, 
over in 45 seconds. I just don't know like, what the difference was. It's just weird. No trust, no vulnerability. It's completely gone. And then in the place of where absolute love was, it was absolute selfishness. Both of them separated themselves. She did it, he did it, we did it, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. They entered, they both became the most important person in the universe. Like every single person in this room. I mean your spouse, sorry. Absolute selfishness. So I, w- I want to I stay here right fast because I want us to see in the confines of God's perfection there's absolute unity, absolute intimacy, absolute love. In the confines of brokenness outside the system when sin gets involved of any sort, especially sexual sin, you have the opposite of those. You have division. You have shame. You have selfishness. This is how many of us enter into our relationships. Division, shame, selfishness. The same concept in this question that shows back up in Matthew. And it's where I want to slow down just for a minute. Because Jesus begins, he paints a picture. And one, and one it's, my, it's one of my favorites because in one little section, Jesus just, he nails very specifically the system, the design, the way that it's supposed to be. The, the, the Pharisees were asking, they had a con, it was talking about divorce. The Pharisees wanted, they all wanted to leave and change wives over and over. They wanted to do the right thing by getting married. This is a big part of the conversation. But then when they were, when they were done being married, they wanted to leave and go get married again so they could keep having sex, I mean getting married with different women. And so they came and they said, okay, what, 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 what's the balance for divorce? What, how do we get out? Basically, how do, Jesus, to you, how do we get out of the marriages? Kind of only a man, I feel like, would ask that question like that. And then Jesus responds, and this is what he responds. And within this, and I want you to start paying attention if you haven't already. This is in, in Matthew 19, starting with verse 4 through 6. This is what he said, and I'm going to spend the rest of the time just on this one concept. Haven't you read? This is his response. And he uses the very same scriptures we just looked at in Genesis. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I'll read this again. Haven't you read, he replied, because he, he, he's painting a paradigm, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, which is significant, let no one separate. All right. So I'm going to walk us through practical life just for a minute. I want to walk us through the different versions of this in our life. I need some comfortable with themselves teenagers to come help me really fast. Preferably, come on, let's go. You come. You two are getting up here. Come on, you good? You good? You good? Come on, it's good. You got it. What's up, man? You doing all right? How are you, buddy? Hey, man. You doing good? Girl, how are you? Girl, how are you? Girl, how are you? All right. Man, man, girl, girl, girl. All right. Here's what we're gonna do really fast. Here, you stay here. You stay here. You good? 
You go stand over there. You two go stand over there. Just chill for a minute. Chill. So I want to. The first way that we do this, and I want to be very clear about this. All right. Um, in life, when we start thinking about relationships, we start thinking about different things. You guys are actually dating, huh? Oh, sweet. I apologize for their parents for the use of this analogy. But we're breaking the silence. You were all comfortable with it till your kid was on stage. All right. So this is what, this is what we do. In relationships, this is the, what we try to do. First we, we, first, we look at the male and the female thing. Like the male and female, we, we, we get that, male and female. Males like fem- females, like males, it's this, this, this thing. They, they, they date, they're attracted to each other, they want to kiss each other, make out with each other, and they, they want to do the thing. You guys don't do that, though. No, right? <laughs> Did you guys just lie on stage before God? She's lying! <laughs> Look at this girl! <laughs> Never will they come back up here again. Right, you attract each other, you want to do it. And so here's the thing, now we're completely leaving them. We're complete, this, now they are just sermon props. This is what we do, though. We want to do, we want to do the, the, the male and female thing, and we want to do the relationship thing, and we want to do the sex thing, and we want to do the thing with just the male and female. That first part of the scripture, he says, God created the male and female. So we want to do just the male and female thing. We, we want to take the, our minds and our bodies and what, that God created us, and we want to kind of cut God out of it, cut marriage out of it, cut the design out of it, and we just want to be males and females. And we want to do the sex thing. We want to get connected on that level, and so that's what we do. Hold hands. That's what we do. Right? We, we, we engage in that. We try to do it, right? We, we, we do the thing. We're, we're connected. We're, we're, a lot of us, we start when we're teenagers or our early 20s, and we try to be big, grown, big adults, and we try to do the things that we see on the movies, and we try to live life, and we're indoctrinated and taught by the culture about what life is and what sex is and what love is, and, and so we just get, we just get lost in it, and, and our lust kind of takes over, and our hormones kind of take over, and before you know it, we're male and female, and we're doing the deal. Sex is a part of our life. Connection on the self is a part of our life. That bond, that oxytocin's going crazy. The, the vasopressin's going crazy. The endorphins are going crazy. The dopamine's going crazy. You're really enjoying it. And you're bonded together. And it's just this, and there's just this thing. But, but what happens when you go male and female? Right? When it's not husband and wife, when it's just male and female, the problem is, is that, that they get connected, right? They get connected emotionally. They get connected spiritually. They get connected emotionally. Even if they don't know the Lord, they still get connected on that emotional, spiritual level because that's what our bodies were meant for. That's the difference, right? When he said your bodies are not meant for sexual immorality, that's because they were meant for sexual immorality. They were, they were meant for sexual purity. And so that when you engage in sex, your mind, your body doesn't know the difference, so it gets connected on these levels. Are we with me? Does that make sense? The problem is, is when it's just male and female, it's so, so, so easy to do this right here. Stop chilling. Come with me, girl. Hold his hand. This doesn't count. I, didn't, I really was intentionally trying not to get people who were dating, but... What happens is, is that they, they disconnect with one another, right? That bond and break takes place, and now, and now they're trying to do the love thing again and the sex thing again, and they're trying to do the connection thing again, and, and now their oxytocin is going crazy, vasopressin is going crazy, there's an emotional connection, there's the love, and there's this thing, and they're trying to mimic what, the things in God's design. They're trying to sex just becomes physical. It's just this thing, but, but while they're doing it, there's this, this connection that happens, and it's just male and female, right? And so the oxytocin, the vasopressin, the connection, the spiritual, the emotional, everything's there, but it's not quite as powerful as it was the first time. And so if you were able to bond and break the first time, it's super easy to what? Do it again. Come here, girl. Hold hands. 
You're welcome. <laughs> Too far? <laughs> so they do it again. And they say neurology is starting to prove that the vasopressin is highly suppressed, oxytocin is highly suppressed. And so at this time, especially for the males, especially for the males, around the third partner, the vasopressin is almost, it's almost not even there. It's been rewired. It's just different now. And so now the only thing that they've got when you're doing the love thing and you're doing the sex thing and you're doing the connection thing and that emotional thing, now, now you, you, the endorphins are still there. It still feels good. You still want to do it. The dopamine's still there. It's still that kind of reward system. And your body still craves it and wants it because God created us to be addicted to our husbands and our wives. So that, that part of it's kind of still there. The problem is, is that, that he doesn't feel any kind of connection for her. He doesn't really trust her. He doesn't really know her on that level, doesn't need to know her. Right? I don't even know why that was funny. Right? Because at, at this point, what'd you do? So at this point, listen to me, guys. So at this point, at this point, I want, and I want you to get there because this is where the guys, this is going to help you explain some things for your life. At this point, that connection's gone. That desire's gone. You don't know her, don't want to know her. All you want is what? Sex. Because that's the endorphins and the dopamine, that addiction is still there. But now it's not about a girl. It's not about a female. It's not about a particular. It's just about sex. This is how women become objectified in our culture. Hold hands. <laughs> this, is how, this, is how, this is how women just become. That's why for many, for many, 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 many men, Girls exist for one thing and one thing only, and that's sex. Right? That's why the pornography industry is billions upon billions upon billions upon billions upon billions of dollars every single year. Because we just objectify women. It's just we just want that dopamine release. We don't have that connection. And what the problem is, and, and this is the let's let's go back to the original switch. You're coming. You're gonna be God, by the way. <laughs> So what happens is, is, is so we, we, we go through this our teenage years, our early 20s, and for millennials, most of the time, they don't even just start talking about marriage until late 20s, early 30s, and so they go through, on average, four to six sexual partners. Uh, pornography does play a massive role in the millennial generation. And so they, they have all this, this brokenness that comes from, from sex and, and mimicking love outside of God's design. They bring all this brokenness, and then, then they, they meet somebody, and they're like, you know, we're going to settle down. Like we're gonna settle down. How many times we have? We're gonna we're time to settle down. Thought, what does that mean? How does that make your girl feel real special? Yeah, just <clears throat> out. Oh, tough teenage years. Got through everything. Time to settle down. You, you'll do. <laughs> right? Yeah, just had to, just had to, you know, get out of the game. Right? So, so we we get to this thing, and now this is the part I want you to really hear me. I want you to really hear me. So what we do is we go down to that second layer, not just male and female. In the scripture, we go down to that second layer, but we, 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 we go to, to get married. We're going to put that circle around, around it. Circle of marriage. Circle of marriage. Right? All the problems fixed. Right? Dude, we got married. We stood in front of our friends and family. There was a preacher there. We, we read some Bible verses. We did the deal. We went to the courthouse. We got some. We got married. F 
problem fixed. Everything's fixed. We got married. Right? How's that panning out for you? With 53% of us getting divorced. With 76% of second marriages ending in divorce. How's that whole marriage deal working out for you? I highly recommend you don't shout out any sort of thought or answer to this next question, but how's that sex going for you guys? Right? How's sex going in your marriage? For many of you, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a positive thing. For many people, it's not a positive thing. Uh, in fact, for, there's a lot of marriages you've become business partners with one another. Sex is just not really a thing anymore. It's, 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 it's an awkwardness. Maybe it's completely non-existent. It makes financial sense to be together. Maybe, maybe because of some sex you had and a while back, you got some kids, and now you got to take care of them. You got to go through the whole deal. So now you're, you live in the same house together. You're financially connected. And you got kids together, but you're just gonna kind of chill with them because because you got all this brokenness. You got all these things that's disconnected. There's no intimacy. There's no real love. And you know, the moment that child is gone, marriage is over and done. There's people sitting in this room right now. You are so well aware of that reality that you're wondering, how does he know? Right. As soon as as soon as the kids are gone, you're done. Right? Let me tell you this. Sex in marriage is supposed to be an amazing thing, filtered around intimacy, love, and joy. You're supposed to find, find it's not supposed to be awkward. It's not supposed to be bad. It's not supposed to be, it's not supposed to be, un, it's not supposed to be unhealthy. It's supposed to be good. If you do not have consistent, amazing sex in your marriage, something is wrong. Right? That's the way God designed it. So I, I want you to understand, being married means nothing. Stats prove it, life proves it, your life right now in this room proves it. Marriage, the idea of marriage, it means it's just you're standing before, you're just standing, nothing changed. You're living together, you're, you're, you're sinning sexually more, you want to do the right thing, so you just, you just go get married and now everything's right. Wrong. The problem is because we have a total misconception of what marriage is. The only thing different now between male and female is it's husband and wife. That's the difference. That's the only difference. And remember how this question started that Jesus is answering. They were like, how can we get out of these marriages we don't want to be in? Marriage in itself, standing before some priest, standing before some preacher, standing before friends and family, going through the day, it's just a thing, it's just a ceremony, it's just a party. You go, you get legally, North Carolina's giving you the power invested in me, and you're just there. That doesn't change the wounds that you have in your life. It doesn't change the brokenness that you have in your life. It doesn't change that deep-seated hurt that you have in your life, that pain. It doesn't, those emotional issues that come along, the trust issues, the lack of being vulnerable. It eliminates intimacy. And so you get into marriage thinking that some ceremony is going to change your life forever and that sexuality has become amazing and intimacy is going to show up and pleasure and joy are going to exist. And then when you go into marriage because you did the marriage thing, because you did the preacher thing, because you did the church thing, because you did the, the, the court thing and you're, and you're married and now you're husband and wife, it's all just going to get better. Better, but it doesn't and so after you give it a few more shots then you come to this conclusion I just picked the wrong person I, I just picked the wrong person I fell out of love and this is the, my favorite one I missed God on it just wasn't God's will I married the wrong person now in obedience to God I have to leave her and go marry the right person shut your mouth 
But how many times? And there's people in this room, you've thought that right there. Well, I didn't know the Lord. I hear, I didn't know the Lord back then. And I married him. Now I know the Lord and I know that he's not the one for me. So I have to humble myself before God and sleep with another man. I've heard these things. Right? And these are just normal dysfunctions. Marriage fixes nothing. Nothing. Because when you're just male and female, and then you put a little, little, little circle of marriage around you, it's so easy to just grow apart. Right? It's so easy. It's just, it's just you just, just life. Life gets hard. You fall in love with your career. You fall in love with your job. You have a couple kids. You're still super, super, super selfish, so you really don't like it. Right? Money becomes a problem. Come here, God. Go back here. Keep, no, get off my stage. <laughs> get down. But they're, they're married, y'all. Right? There's people in this room right now. This is your life. You're married. You got kids. You got jobs. On the outside, things look good. But she's over there and he's over there and the two shall never meet. Sleeping in different rooms or sleeping next to each other. You got you're, you're, Can I have an? What's the largest bed manufactured? I want the. You know, wasn't actually asking, but that's fine. I want a California king. I want. I want. I want to sleep as far away from. Uh, you get a job promotion, and you're like, you're like, man, you're gonna have to travel all around the country. You'll be gone 50 percent. I'll take it. I'll take the job. I'll take it. I'll t- give me a pay cut. I want the job. Right. You start finding, you don't find satisfaction in each other. You don't find joy in each other. You don't find pleasure in each other. You judge each other. She's the enemy. You're the enemy. Right? I'm describing American marriage. That's because they just got married. It's because they just, just, male and female became husband and wife. Come here, little married people. Because the third part to this, and this is significant. Taylor, you can come up here. This is significant. Male and female joined together to become one flesh. And then that last sentence that we all forget. And God joined them together. And what God joins together, let not man separate. Just Taylor, just play really, really soft. So here's the thing I, w- I, w- I want you to think about. And I want you to go back to the garden. I want you to see what happens when sin comes in. They put clothes on. I'm glad you guys have clothes on. They put clothes on. They became divided from each other, but then they went and hid from God. See, this is the, this is the problem with American culture and marriage culture in America. You think in your arrogance and foolishness that you can take marriage as something that God created and you can do it without God, and you can't. You can't. You're making, you're, you're making a marriage as a covenant between two people and the God that created them. You cannot make a covenant with a God that you don't know. And you are playing with absolute fire by doing so. I'm going to show you. This is the missing piece in most of your marriages. Is God. God is the missing piece in most of your marriages. You will never experience perfect sex without a perfect God. 
You will never experience the perfect design without the perfect God who designed it. You're playing house, right? You're playing marriage. You aren't truly married on an intimate. You're, you're married before God. That's what's so dangerous about it. But your heart, your mind, your life, your connection, it's not there. So I'm going to show you something. Come here, God. See, I want you to imagine when two people come together. Hold on. Hold on. Right? Does this, this scene look familiar? Looks familiar like marriage, right? What it is, is it's not the preacher. The preacher is representing something significant. The preacher, the concept is representing God himself. God is the one who puts the connection on each other. God is the one that unites them together. And in the confines of God, right, and, and that marriage and that connection, it says what God joined together, let no man separate. So I want to I I show you something here. You do this, you do this for real. She knows the Lord. She's fully satisfied in the Lord. He knows the Lord. He's fully satisfied in the Lord. They come before God, understanding the significance of Christ, the significance of the Creator, and they bound themselves together before the God that created them. Then God, in His perfect design, reaches out His all-powerful hands, and He grabs them together, and He unites them in a way that no man could possibly separate in this life. And then those, when those bad seasons come and, and those, that separation comes and they, they start walking apart. And see, here's the thing. Without God here, there's no way for them to come back together. Because this is why, let me listen to me. This is why marriage counseling is almost worthless. Because marriage counseling only has value if both people want to stay together. The problem is, is that when you get out here and you start finding satisfaction and something different, satisfaction, and he's over there doing this, there, there's nothing to bring them back together. And I want you to hear me. The only way, the only way the only way to save your marriage, the only way for marriage to last forever, the only way for it to be what it's supposed to be is if God is at the center of your life. Because no matter how far away you get, go. No matter how far away you get, keep going. No matter how far away you get, it's not running back to each other that will save your life, that will save your marriage, that will restore, that will beat the wound. It's none of that. It's when they both turn heart, mind, body, and soul back to God. They're not connecting with each other. They're running back to God. Now come to God. Naturally, if two people are running to the same place, what happens? They find each other. This is the picture of God's perfect design in marriage. Because God's not going to let you separate from one another. When you, when you get to a place of brokenness, when you get to a place of sin, when you get disconnected, you turn your heart and your mind back to God. And you will naturally come back to each other. See, and I'm, I'm going to tell you something. Without God in your marriage, without God in your life, you are living a completely hopeless life. That you will ever find satisfaction, joy, intimacy in your marriage. You can't do it. It's a God thing. You can't do marriage without God. For many of you, God was not present on the day that you got married. For many of you, God is not present right now in this very moment. And that's why there's so much utter disconnection. You cannot have unity. You cannot have intimacy. You cannot have love without God. Because the Bible says that God is love. This is the thing I want you to understand. You're taking one of the most deep-seated 
soul-shattering, deeply spiritual, deeply emotional thing called sex and marriage. And culture has watered it down and broke it down and thrown it out the window. It doesn't change the seriousness of it the way that God views it. You're like you're playing with fire and you don't even know it. And you wonder why you get burned. I want you to hear me. You cannot and will not experience perfect sex without a perfect God in your life. And your marriage has no shot. You might not get divorced. That's what I hear people all the time. Well, we didn't get divorced. You hate each other. You have, you have nothing but anxiety and stress in your marriage. You find no rest in each other. You find no hope. You find no happiness. You find no joy in each other. The only way you will experience true love, intimacy, joy, long-term commitment is when both, both male and female turn their hearts to God and they become husbands and wives in the context of God. And it's not some preacher or some judge. It's the hands of God that join them together. If you don't go into marriage through God you'll carry that brokenness the wounds the pain the trust issues everything into your marriage it's those things that ruin marriages you never had a shot you came in with unhealthy foundations and wonder why you can't build a house and that leads me to this this one final point and in your mind it seems so disconnected from sex but it's not it seems so disconnected from marriage, but it's not. It seems so disconnected from love and life and intimacy and joy, but it's not. Marriage is, is, is something of God. It's something that, that exists only truly in the kingdom of God. Right before, I want you to hear me, the scripture from last week, the scripture that I used in the beginning when Paul says, uh, the body is not meant for sex. That whole sexual tension that he describes in there, directly before those scriptures in Corinthians, there's two extremely powerful verses, and I want you to hear this. Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Listen how many things are sexually uh, connected. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, female prostitutes, nor homo, homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to be very clear here. I'm going to a deeply spiritual place, and I need you to listen to me. You have been indoctrinated. You have been, you have been shifted. You have been shaped. You have been molded. You have been educated by the culture. And I'm going to tell you a deeply spiritual truth that every single person in this room needs to hear. The wicked, sinners, those disconnected from God, the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, the prostitutes, homosexual offenders, swindlers, liars, the wicked. You have no place in the kingdom of God. You have no place. You have no right to it. You have right to the marriage of God. I want you to listen to me. You have no right to the things of God because your heart is darkened. Your mind is corrupted. You are evil. Sin 
as it did in Adam and Eve. Sin crept into your life. It divided you one from another, and it divided you from the God that created you. And you have no place in the kingdom of God. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. You have no place in the things of God. It doesn't matter how many times you stand before a judge and say you got married. Merit is a God thing. Culture does not own it. It cannot define it because it did not design it. You can't come into the house of God and rewrite the laws that he wrote on the human heart with the day he created you. You are a human being. You cannot look to the God that created the world and tell him how things are supposed to be. You cannot look into the heart of God and tell him this is how it will be. God will tell you, the creation, how it will be because he is the creator and he designed your mind for specific things in specific ways. He has put boundaries around you, not to burden you, but to bless you. You are a foolish and arrogant human being to stand before the God of all the world and tell him what will and will not be. You have no place in marriage. You have no place in that. You can play house all day long. You can connect your bank accounts all day long. You can sleep with whoever you want all day long. But you will not play a part in any part of the kingdom of God if there is wickedness in your heart, period. The reason why many of you struggle so much in this life, in your marriage, the reason why you lack intimacy, the reason why you cannot find satisfaction in sex and you have no clue what love is, is because there is wickedness and darkness in your heart and you do not know the perfect God that created you and created marriage and created a family and designed sexuality. You don't know him. You cannot experience it. As we all were. The next verse is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Because it meant so much to me the first time that I read it. Paul goes on to say, and that is what some of you were. He said, that's what some of you were. That was what I was. I was sexually immoral. Right? I was an idolater. You take that word prostitute, we, we, we think on the corner, we think, you know, dimes for sex, that's what we think. No. Prostitute means you are selling your purity off for any gain, any pleasure, any amount. Many of us in this room have been prostitutes in this life. We sold off our purity to be accepted. We sold off our purity to be loved. We sold off our purity to be cool. We sold off our purity to be a part. We're prostitutes. We sold off our purity for gain. He said, but that's what some of you were. He said, but, but, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our holy, amazing, majestic God. I want you to hear me. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, and I mean that by you do not have a personal relationship with Him, not that you attend church, not that you, you did a thing when you were a kid, not that you got baptized once, that you have an ongoing, growing, day-to-day -day relationship with Jesus Christ. You have put your faith in him, and he has washed you, sanctified you, justified you, he has saved you. He has righted all those wrongs. He's taken all that brokenness, and he's brought healing to it. Right? If you don't know Jesus Christ on that level, you will never 
ever, ever experience marriage the way that it's supposed to be experienced. You will never come close to experiencing sex the way that it's supposed to be experienced. You will never come close to experience intimacy. And I want you to hear me. You will never even know what love is. Because God is love. The Bible says God is love. You cannot love apart from knowing God. And I will argue that till the day I die because it's so evidently clear. God owns love. He is love. The thing that you want the most in this life, you will never find in the heart and the mind or the body of another human being. You will only find it in the heart of knowing an almighty God. So many of you this morning, your marriage is on the rocks simply because God has not joined you together. My heart for you this morning is that you will, when we go into worship, that you will search your mind, your body, and your soul, and you will come to the conclusion whether you know the Lord, submitted to Him fully and completely. If you have two human beings, one man, one woman, fully connected and chasing God, God will unite them together and you will experience a love, an intimacy, a joy, a happiness that you only dream of. Nicholas Sparks couldn't come close to writing a novel that God has already written for you. My heart this morning is that you will come to this altar and you will find God in your seat, but that you will ask Him the forgiveness of your sins, that you will put your faith in Him and you will commit your life and your marriage and your relationship to Him. And if you have sexual immorality in your life, you will walk away from it. If you have adultery in your life, you will walk away from it. That you will leave those things behind. Come to the God who died for your sins today. He created you. He saved you. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to know intimacy. He wants you to know love. He wants you to know vulnerability. He wants you to know trust. He wants you to find that in your wife, in your husband. That's what he designed for you. The boundaries he's put around it are not to burden you or take something away. It's to bless you. This morning, submit yourself to the God who loves you. Submit yourself to the boundaries that he's created so that you can walk away from the blessings. You'll never experience perfect sex without knowing a perfect God.